Church of the Cross, and welcome back to the Ninth Avenue Nine. I hope you're enjoying your Easter season and your spring. My intro is going to be short for this episode, but I want to speak more about the episode at the end of the show. Suffice to say, this episode features some amazing reflections on music from Nick and Lexi Tavani. They agreed to talk about their nine pieces of music each over Zoom so that they could do it after the kids went to bed. They speak in such detail about these pieces, and since they are musicians, they have so much great insight. I hope you can really take the time, enter in to this great discussion that I had with Nick and Lexi Tavani. Hello, Church of the Cross. Uh, we have just finished Holy Week as I record this episode, and I am so glad to be talking to my guests about music after watching them both contribute so much during Holy Week. They are both such amazing contributors to our worship team, both displaying their gifts with the violin to the glory of God, and they are a blessing to me and to our younger congregants, especially the musicians. It is a real privilege for me to welcome to the Ninth Avenue Nine Lexi and Nick Tavani. Now, am I saying your last name correctly? That's the first thing. I, I, I sometimes, for some reason, I want to say Tavani, but that doesn't make any sense with uh, Latin. It's always the same vowel sound. So Tavani, <laughs> right? Spoken <laughs> like a true Church of the Cross member. <laughs> yeah, Latin. Yeah, you you nailed it. It was perfect. Yeah. So, um, you know, for those of you listening, um, you would know both Nick and Lexi from uh, playing violin in. Um, on the worship team. I think we've seen Nick do it a little bit more than you, Lexi, but we've de- we've definitely seen both of you. And as I said in my written intro, uh, it is great to have both of you up there doing it. It's a blessing. Um, so uh, before we get into the picks of music, and I'm very excited to hear what two professional music musicians have as their picks, um, tell us a little bit about uh, how you met each other, a little bit about your journey to Cross and when you started coming to Cross and how you found us. You want to handle oh, I get to go first. Yep, you get oh, to go first. Because I'm older. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I actually transferred to the Cleveland Institute of Music in my junior year. And one day I was wandering through the halls and I saw this kid kid this guy um it was probably my first or second week maybe and you know just passing by and the first thing I remember he was by the security desk um near the dorm entrance and my thought was oh he's cute and that was kind of all Mm -hmm. that you know I have no process no memory of this yeah he was probably standing there twirling his hair doing something um (laughs) and I I was uh, maybe a month or two later, we were in the same orchestra cycle together. Okay. Which was unusual. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, they did with all the rotations and with the number of students, you were, it was very randomized how, how, you know, the groupings were. So you might be in a cycle with someone in one month and then not be in a cycle with them until another semester. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, we were, I can't even entirely remember what 
I remember Kirk was conducting, um, but I remember he was wearing a shirt and it had bread and loaves on it. And I was like, oh, that's a cool shirt. And it said, all you can eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a cool shirt. And he looked at me and said, well, do you get it? <laughs> I was like, well, obviously it was the feeding of the 5,000. And that's, do you remember what you said? Yeah. Uh, do I, wait. What you said. What I said? What yeah. did I say? <laughs> like, he, he was like, oh, you get it. Not a sure thing in a college environment. It's you know, really so, yeah. not, especially in music school. Uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of more secular environment. We ended up having enough mutual friends. The There is a decent... Uh, Christian community actually at the Cleveland Institute of Music and so we were able to find one another and mm-hmm. find friends and just a group of us started hanging out every almost every night oh. and yeah we would watch movies or we would bake things together and slowly little by little we just kind of I think had the realization <laughs> that we had mutual feelings for one another so and what years? What years is this? Give me a, a picture, uh, like an era here. <laughs> exact years. Um, I it was exact, but like. the, the fall of two thousand and seven. Okay. All right. Yep. Cool. So. All right. So um, Cleveland, and did you end up in the Twin Cities because of Nick's position at St. Paul Chamber? Or how did you end up in the Twin Cities? My position. Okay. Um, Yep, Micah Davis. Okay. Yeah. So it was definitely a leap of faith for us in terms of leaving, you know, Nicholas and the quartet's base in New York at that time. But because of all of the travel that the quartet does, they are at least able to meet up and rehearse and, um, you know, still do concerts. Yeah. So there was, there was a sense of flexibility in that still. And so it, you know, he definitely had to enter the gigging scene here, which I, I don't envy at all. And I was so appreciative of because it's, it is difficult even, even at the caliber that he is. So, so you were, uh, you were in New York after Cleveland and then you moved here. Um, actually we were in, so we went from Cleveland and then I went to grad school in Texas Okay. and a year later he also ended up going to grad school for a year in Texas uh-huh. and then we got married after I graduated mm-hmm. and then we went on to Maryland mm-hmm. and then we went on to, and that was for our doctorates and then we went to New York okay. where the quartet did a final degree at Juilliard. Okay. Okay. So it sounds very much uh, like a musician's life. You're going around quite a bit. Um, We're the troubadours of the 21st yeah. century. Yeah. So, but it looks like you'll, seems like the positions you have here are, are going to be more sort of, you get put some roots down a little bit. Yeah, we want to be, you know, we want to be somewhere and we found such a great community and Mm -hmm. we love it. Yeah. And what do you do at, you're still at Gustavus? Um, Yeah. So I am the music theory and composition. um, I'm head of that area in the music department at Gustavus. Mm -hmm. And so I teach almost every single theory class. I teach 
theory one occasionally, and then I teach theories two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. I teach orchestration. I teach form and analysis. And I also teach um, private composition lessons. Okay. So. And how old are your boys now? To whom they Nick, are. To whom Nick is attending. <laughs> they are two and four. Two and yep. four. I was coming home just tonight with Wesley. He was asking me, how old are their kids? I said, well, I think Caspian was born right after the um, the pandemic hit. So as I recalled, so. And he was I, born, yeah, about two weeks before the world shut down in yeah. the state. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So I am super excited to hear what the two of you, what, what some of your favorite music is. So what, for those folks who are listening for the first time, perhaps uh, Tavani family members who haven't heard the show before <laughs> or whoever else, um, each of you get nine albums. Um, you're, you're locked in the basement for a year. This is all metaphorical, of course. You're, you're not. We don't actually, you know, imprison people in our church basement. So um, uh, come to cross. Yeah, yeah come to cross. It's a huge selling point. Um, and then after you go through your nine, you get uh, to add a book. I sent that list of the books that are down there, and then a luxury item. So uh, with that in mind, let's go into the music. So who's going to go first? Nick. Wow. Okay. She's pointing at Nick good. on the Zoom screen. So uh, what's your first pick, Nick? All oh, right, and, well, and we will put together um, Spotify playlists of a couple songs from each album. So what's your so, first pick? So I, I think in your email, I hope this is okay, you, you said it could be albums or pieces yeah. of music. So I kind of, uh, you know, went in back and forth between those. So sure. uh, my, first, my first piece um, is the Chacon from Bach's Partita in D minor, number two. And uh, it's the last movement. Um, it's for solo violin. And it's just this monumental work, uh -huh. probably easily one of the greatest pieces written for the violin. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an incredible um, three-part work. The Chaconne is actually a really old dance form. Okay. Um, all the partitas were kind of different Baroque dances that Bach, um, he used that form a lot, the, the dance suite. But um, but the, the it, this is in D minor, and it is it's in three sections like i said the the first and last sections are kind of similar to one another and they're they're very somber very like intense uh very dark and it really is a series of variations on the same baseline and chord progression and then the middle section is this incredible major d major section that really just opens up and um yeah it's a piece that i've played since i was a teenager okay. I've, I've played it in a lot of different settings and situations um including actually across a few years you played ago, it on like, monday thursday didn't you right yeah during the foot washing yep um i wondered yeah. if that was the piece you were talking about yep so and i ge generally i don't like to um assign programs to works that are absolute like this bach never wrote anything explicitly like saying this was a you know this is about this but we do know Bach was a very devout Christian. He loved the Lord. He wrote Soli Deo Gloria on the bottom of many of his scores, which means to God alone be the glory. Um, and this piece in particular, um, there are some kind of interesting um, connections um, to, to the Easter story and, and uh, death and resurrection. So he uses, I mean, a kind of a, the, the baseline of the Chaconne is a quote from the chorale, uh, 
Christ lag in todes banden, which is Christ lay in the bonds of death, mm-hmm. which he uh, he uses that chorale in one of his Easter cantatas, or mm-hmm. one of the, I think it was a cantata he wrote for Good Friday, I mm-hmm. believe. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of reference there. Um, there are some other references. He also wrote it oh during the period when, um, or he completed it after his wife had passed away, his first wife. Yeah. Death was definitely on his mind. Um, the three-part structure is hard to ignore, um, maybe related to the Trinity. Mm. And um, there is an amazing... So I would just recommend, listen to the piece on its own first, because that's how Bach wrote it. That's how it's intended to be written. There's also an incredible album called Mormer, where this German musicologist basically um, puts together these chorale fragments with a choir and... It, uh, so the chorales are by Bach, and then the uh, and she kind of pastes it on top of um, a violinist playing the chaconne, and that's a pretty incredible recording. It's, um, so, yeah, that's my first piece. Yeah, and so does Bach hold um, a special place for you? I mean, it sounds like it from what you're saying, but would you? I mean, I've always I've picked up biographies of him, and there is an incredible you know story behind him. Yeah, I would, I mean, I think, I would say even if you didn't know anything about his life, if you just listened to any of his music, yeah. I mean, I'm picking one of like, I listened yeah. to his B minor mass, St. John's mm-hmm. Passion. Mm-hmm. St. Matthew's uh, Passion is gorgeous. Yep. All of these incredible, incredible works. Um, and they're just like miraculously beautiful and, and, and the craftsmanship and the love that went into them. I mean, he's, uh, most musicians consider him the, the most classical musicians consider consider him the greatest composer, and I, I yeah. would be best to argue with that. So, well, you're not yeah. going to get one from me because I would lose it anyway. It's just because. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, that's a great start, Lexi. What's your first pick? I know it almost doesn't even matter what I say now. No. <laughs> I'm going to do Rafe Vaughn Williams, the Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. Mm-hmm. Um. This piece is a sentimental work for me for a couple reasons. Um, I was in youth orchestra when I was first introduced to this piece. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm biased or anything, but we were a fairly good youth orchestra. <laughs> so it sounded pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, and I wasn't even playing one of the principal parts. So I think I'm really allowed to say that. So, um, it so you know just it holds a special place in my heart because of the time period for me in which I was introduced to it and mm-hmm. playing in it is a very special experience. It's slightly unusual in that he divides the orchestra in these are this is a chamber orchestra just strings. He divides it into smaller sections than mm-hmm. usual, and so it's kind of essentially for two orchestras and a string quartet. Mm-hmm. And the string quartet kind of function as soloists. So. Being in a different setup is also really special when you're just used to playing large orchestral works or maybe just strictly chamber works. Um, having a different configuration is always really special. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I mean, a lot of the pieces that I've chosen are really linked to my mom. Okay. And um, it's one of those things that I don't necessarily expect many people to know, but uh, my mom passed away Um when I was in my twenties and just because of just the person who she was and I mean, just spiritually who, who she was, but also just the musician she was, um, she, 
um, was a huge, huge impact in my life and mm. one of my best friends. And so yeah. we, we could lie there and listen to this piece for hours on end. And I just, I remember, I remember just lying in bed and like the lights out and just like closing our eyes and listening to it. And it hmm. really special work. And hmm. um, yeah. Vaughn Williams uses a lot of folk melodies and, yeah, you know, it's, so there's a lot of rawness in his harmonies and there's a lot of, I mean, openness in the use of the way he structures chords Mm -hmm. well but he's very good with density of harmony and texture that is simple yet effective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so there's a there there is that rawness to this piece that really brings you back to thomas tallis which was like 1550-ish but in an you know a 20th century setting and it's it's very special yeah well, you've given the first two entries are uh, are powerhouses there, <laughs> and especially your stories about your mother. I mean, well, the, the longer we go on, I'm sure the more we'll we'll be able to relate things. I have some I have some similar stories about my dad, so I hear you. So, uh, Nick, what's your second pick? Yeah, this is also one. Well, I think they're all going to be they're all going to be personal. <laughs> well, I um, hope so. You know yeah. why? <laughs> Uh, just this just doing also, this theoretically, uh, right? Being, I, I apologize in advance. Being that I, I do play in a string quartet as my job, there are going to be several string quartets. Um, sure. Next one is Beethoven's, uh, one of Beethoven's late string quartets is Opus 132. Um, so Beethoven, I'm, if, if you're not familiar, he kind of wrote, he had like three rough periods of his life, kind of early period where he was young and, and kind of just budding as a composer, making his mark middle period where he really, really kind of stretching the boundaries of what music could be um, and form. And then his late period, a lot of his, uh, which was really the last like eight, eight or so years of his life, um, which was mostly a period marked by grief and struggle, um, sickness, and specifically the middle movement of the string quartet, the kind of the heart is one of the few that he gave a title to. Mm-hmm. He titled it Heiliger Dankesang, which means thong, Song of Thanksgiving. And then he went on to say Song of Thanksgiving to God um, <clears throat> from a recovering uh, sick person, basically, mm-hmm. in the Lydian mode. And it's this incredible piece. It starts off with this incredibly simple chorale kind of writing for the string quartet. Um, and then it's goes into a section that he marks feeling new strength and it's just full of joy and 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 new life and and he wrote it actually after he recovered from a really serious stomach illness Mm -hmm. so it had a personal connection to him Mm -hmm. and then it goes back to this corral material but it's a little bit more um a little bit more intricate in the way he writes it a little bit more ornamented and then he has there's another section that's feeling new strength again uh, which is even more kind of joyful. And then it finishes with this chorale material, but even more ornamented and it builds it's this incredible climax. And um, this piece we was one of the first pieces that my quartet played after I took 
um, some time off. I was diagnosed with cancer right before Lexi and I were um, were mm-hmm. going to be married. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had t- taken the summer off after we got married um, to do chemo and have some surgeries. And um, I thank the Lord that he healed me and I, I'm, I'm cancer free and I, I still praise God for that. And so this was one of the first pieces that we played after that. And it was uh, had a special meaning to play that. Um, sure. Yeah, especially that movement, Highly Gurdanka song. It's also like one of the greatest I movements. think you said 132, though. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. One, Opus, Opus 132. Opus so it's the, the, the whole piece is, yeah, it's in A minor. Um, and the whole piece is, is definitely worth listening to. Uh, it's really, his late quartets are really, he was really kind of going places that nobody ever went. And for a string quartet, uh, the, the Beethoven quartets are kind of like the, and they're re- they're super long. I mean, for string quartets, especially if you're listening, yeah. if you're listening to like Haydn for a while, where you're he's doing like 15 minutes, you know. Yeah. I I have a collection of the late quartets, and I've yeah. I've listened to them a lot, and they're just so dense in so many yeah. ways. I I as a uh, person, I mean, for me, string quartets, uh, it makes a big difference to be there live. Um, yes. for me in my experience especially since i'm not a musician because i love watching the interplay um but yep. yeah they, i mean the ones i've listened to are amazing so that's awesome that i i haven't met many non-musicians who just like listen to late beethoven string quartets so <laughs> kudos to you <laughs> well i yeah well classical music has been a big part of my life as a t- completely non-musical person so uh, I, I, you know, of course, my daughter, and my kids are all play it, you know, play it. So wonderful musicians, yeah, yeah, wonderful violinists. Yeah, well, I'll, I, I have a copy of the late quartet, so I will, Sweet. I will listen. To I, it. I will what, listen. What quartet it is? Tell you me. what, when we get to a break, I'll go downstairs and grab okay. it. Okay, I'm curious because yeah, right. yeah, it's yeah, it's a collection I got when I, before I was collecting vinyl, so it's probably fifteen. I had got Ooh. it fifteen or years ago or so. So nice. Okay, number two for Lexi. What do you say? Ooh, uh, I might number two might depend on if you move. No, can just you, just tell me. <laughs> <in order. laughs> I feel like those need to be piggybacked. Okay, do whatever okay. you want. Can we piggyback? Those? <laughs> yes, that's fine. Okay, all right. We're moving to Bartok. Um, okay, because Bartok is one of the most significant composers of the twenty first century. 20, 20th, 20th century. He's dead. He's not with us. 20th century. Um, uh, his, you, he was essentially the first ethnomusicologist that there was, really. Um, he did stuff with Kodai and whatnot. Um, but so he went and collected lots of source recordings of um, native Romanian and, and all over and Hungarian yeah he did Europe a lot of Eastern Europe yeah. yeah so he did a lot of source recordings and he would take those source recordings and transcribe the music and find ways to modernize them he would emphasize asymmetrical meters so we're used to in music things being so symmetrical especially um most of the classical music people are more familiar with and pop music music it's all very symmetrical so and as a culture we like symmetry so we see hear a lot of twos and fours and occasionally the threes think of your good old polkas boom chuck chucks um (laughs) but 
Bartok liked doing fives and sevens and funky combinations with eight because we're used to eight being grouped in twos or fours, but he would group them in three, three twos or something. And so it almost gives the music some hiccups. Mm -hmm. So I could almost pick any piece by Bartok, but we're going to do Bartok's fourth string quartet. Um, and the, the piece itself is very interesting because it is, it was created pal- palindromically. Can I say it that way? Mm-hmm. Palindromically. That's a mm-hmm. Um, in which case the outer movements, it's a five movement work, which for string quartets is also fairly unusual, which is, um, progressive in one way in it, in and of itself. Um, but it all works toward and around the central movement, which it's just this feeling of stasis and this tension that's just grinding and yet it's pure and beautiful. And it's just the way that he makes these dense cluster chords. And I so frequently, I think people think, oh, a string quartet's four people, so they can only make four notes at a time. Um, and once you really start to understand strings, you know. We all, it starts with, it, it adds like one voice, but it ends up adding like six voices by the, and, and it's just three people playing. So we're all playing mm-hmm. two notes at a time. Mm-hmm. And then the cello Comes. has this incredible, um, mm-hmm like lament kind of that's based on a Romanian long song form. Yeah. Uh, it's really beautiful. And it's yeah. just heart wrenching yeah. and the way that he pushes and pulls with tonality and kind of comes around this focal point, um, this one central pitch, it, it shifts depending on where it is in the movement. Um, but yeah. you kind of, you kind of sway back and forth between it and you feel this sense of like disorientation and then you come back and you lock in and suddenly something changes and then you come back to it and it just it's yeah. unbelievably effective and phenomenal and then you know movements 2 and 4 are very driven and energized and they're like pizzicato and dun 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 dun, dun. and yeah. they kind of they I mean they're kind of dance like in nature and then the first and last movement just have a lot of good energy like the last one yan dun dun dun, dun last one so is definitely so it's, uh, it's in five movements then yeah, yeah and five the movements. third the third is the kind of center the uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's uh, truly the yeah yeah with the palindrome it's yeah. like that is the high point that is the climax of the work and it's so, and we think of climaxes so frequently as being, you know, really super powerful, but yet he chooses to do most of it in this very intimate, and I don't want to say closed off, but it's very heartfelt. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are just used to like, yes, climax. And he's like, no, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. Mm-hmm. And also, the last movement is totally rock and roll. It really is. In, the, in 1928. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So, yeah. You can just imagine all these like peasants going down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. What's number three so, for you, Nick? So, I'm, uh, as per the request of my wife, I will uh, do my number three as uh, Bartok's fifth string quartet, which he dun, dun, wrote dun. Uh, a few, like maybe Two. eight years after the, really yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the fourth. And he basically takes, I think like the fifth quartet is one of the greatest string quartets ever written, just in terms of like, just the technical mastery of writing for a string quartet, plus using this musical language that he, like Lexi said, basically invented a completely Mm -hmm. 
unique musical language um, that was not, I won't say it's atonal. It might sound atonal when you first listen to it, but there's, there's a, there is like a, a center to it. It's just not in the same way that we in Western music are used to. Well, he also uses um, harmony symmetrically. Right. So he'll have that center, center point and he'll branch off of it. And we're yeah. used to, our collection is not symmetrical. Yeah, it's based to. on like the bottom pitch, the tonic. Yeah. But yeah. He uses um, like one or two pitches called a pitch axis, which, yeah. So anyway. We'll, but we'll avoid the, the super yeah. nerdy musical <laughs> theory but, stuff. But you the, can come to my class. Yeah. <laughs> but five is kind of the uh, inverse of four in the stride. It's also five movements, but the, um, it's the first movement is is like super intense, really like it has like a billion different personalities. Um, he actually writes like if you look at the score, like kind of every like eight to ten bars, he'll write a new metronome marking. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are like very subtly different from one another, but mm-hmm. they basically all are marking like different um, kind of like styles folk styles that he's throwing in there and it, it's like at first it's like this crazy collage of of stuff happening and then it kind of all comes together um it's incredibly difficult to put together um as a as a quartet it was one of the first pieces my quartet maybe foolishly chose to learn as a young quartet and we're like oh my gosh this is so hard but it is really rewarding when you finally put it all together the two two movements two and four it's also symmetrical like four so okay. two and four are actually the slow movements and those are also really incredibly gorgeous um they two has this amazing and four also in a different form but uh this amazing chorale that again like it's the kind of thing where it so this chorale when i talk about chorale it's like all four voices are are kind of playing uh long slow notes mostly in rhythmic unison um, and it's the kind of thing that Bach wrote, but Bartok wrote it with his own kind of musical system. So I would, I would say, listen to it. And at first you're going to think like, oh, there's some notes that are wrong in there, but then like keep listening to it several times and they'll start to sound right to you. Mm-hmm. And because you'll start to get, you don't have to like, un, it doesn't, the theory doesn't matter. It's just you, your ear will start to understand, Acc- but they're, it's the acclamation. Yeah. And it's, they are super amazing. And then the third movement is like this incredible, Bulgarese, which is it's based on this Bulgarian folk rhythm. And like he was talking about these crazy weird meters he uses. So this one, I still remember like how to count it because it took us so long to get the groove, but it's like four plus two plus three. So it's like one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three. It's super weird. And like you you feel like you're balancing on like a, I don't know, an eighth, like a unicycle that's constantly about to fall over but once you get it it's so cool it's like a completely and i i i think for like these these bulgarian like peasants it actually that probably was like normal that was like four 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 on the floor to them there's like oh yeah that's like what i grew up singing so it's it's cool to like kind of get inside a completely different musical and rhythmic um language uh and then, like, yeah, the last movement, the fifth movement, is just insane, fast, like crazy, virtuosic quartet writing. So it's a lot of fun. Until the end. Yeah, and then they, and at the end, he kind of loses his mind. Um, <laughs> in a Can't imagine yeah. with all those with all those rhythms all over the place. Right? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's like. And then he wrote one more. Yeah, you want to run more? That's super sad. But so is that awesome. the next pick? No, no, okay. it's not. What's number three, Lexi? Benjamin Britten. Yeah. Um, 
phenomenal British composer. Um, most people, I would say, Young are, People's Guide to Orchestra. Yeah, Young People's Guide to the Orchestra, um, or the War Requiem is a very well-known piece. Um, if anyone is a vocalist, um, and then there's some other things like the horn tenor piece, but. His C interludes, the four C interludes from his opera, Peter Grimes. And I know I will probably, opera's not my favorite genre. Mm -hmm. But Peter Grimes is a really cool opera. And the first time that I discovered the, the four C interludes, and I will be completely transparent and say I don't even remember doing it. But at this point, um, the the movement Moonlight mm-hmm. is really special to us because after Cole was born, um, he was in the NICU for 11 days. Mm-hmm. And we were in we were in the room and I was holding him and I was like, he needs to he needs to listen to something. Mm-hmm. And I chose Moonlight. Mm-hmm. And I just remember holding him. And, you know, there's beeping going on in the background. Sure. And the way that the rooms were set up, someone was fairly close. And so I had it on very quietly. But it was, you know, a very special moment to be holding my, you know, son that was about not even 24 hours old and... It was already such a cool piece to me, but it has so much more, you know, sentimental, you know, feeling to it now. And it's just, it's very peaceful. And it's kind of what you would, the music speaks so well to the title and what you would think. And so it's very serene. You feel the you literally feel the the moon's reflection on the very subtle undulations of the waves. Like it's not mm-hmm. like there are some moments where there's some rise and fall and you could, you know, because even at night, the, you know, the sea churns, Yeah, but it's just, it's very peaceful and serene. And there are a couple moments where the harmony is not quite what you would expect. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, the sea is not perfect. That's not, you know, those waves are not in the same pattern each time, Mm -hmm. but yet you feel the repetition and the return. um, And it's, and it's, yeah, it is gorgeous. Yeah. Well, you've certainly, and we've only gotten six picks so far and I'm looking forward to to listening to them a lot. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to go grab my Beethoven CDs so I can show you what they are. And we'll be right back. And we are back and I was able to uh, show... uh, the Tavani's my uh, my my Beethoven string quartet uh, collection, such as it is. So I mean, not I mean, I'm sure it's probably not as 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 many as you as you have, but it it definitely is something I love. I I tend to play it a lot um, while reading. 
So. I was. I have to say, I was super impressed by your um, your deep cuts of old <laughs> old school string quartets, the well, Hungarian remember, string quartet. Yeah, I can't remember where I found this one. I, I it was probably just some some record store nearby where I grew up. Um, so I, and it was three bucks. So why not? Yes. Why not? That's the way to do it. That's right. so. So number four, uh, do we want to still stay in the same order, Nick? Do you want to go, or yeah. do you want to pass it off to Lexi? Nope. Uh, right. Okay, yeah, I'll go. So my fourth pick um, is really sticking just with greatest hits here of classical music so far. But uh, I promise there will be some non-classical things too. But um, the it's by Schubert. It's the cello quintet. Mm-hmm. Um, so a cello quintet is is basically a string quartet plus one extra cello, and mm-hmm. he uh, wrote it near the end of his life. Um, he died just the year after Beethoven did, and he. It wasn't published till after his death, but it's it's easily one of the greatest pieces ever written. So um, did he only write opens, one cello quintet? Was there just one cello quintet? Uh, wrote, as far he... as I know, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, he wrote some amazing string quartets too. I almost put Death and the Maiden on here, which is another incredible. Yeah, and I like the but, Trout one. Yeah, the Trout quintet is also great. Um, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so this, yeah, this quintet, just... The, just listen to the beginning, like the opening three minutes. Um, it after like kind of the introduction, it opens with one of the most like miraculous, beautiful melodies I think ever written, and it's played with the two. You hear the two cellos playing it as a duet. It sounds like almost like an operatic aria. Mm-hmm. It's one of those melodies that takes you to a different place. It, they kind of contain a whole other world of beauty, musical beauty. Um, takes your imagination into far, far off lands that you never could have imagined. And uh, it really, I think is, I think writing melodies is one of the hardest things when writing a good tune and any, like anyone, any songwriter from any kind of genre, I think would, would tell you that, that it's a good melody. It's like a gift from God. And he seems to to uh, really have a lot of them, especially for uh, the fact that he didn't live that long. Yep. Yep. I, he, I, there is something about his, cause I haven't listened to a ton of his pieces, but there's something about, I can never put it into words quite like what his, cause I love, I've always loved Beethoven. I've always loved Mozart, but I've always, whenever I hear a Schubert melody, it, it's just different in, yep. in, in some way that I can't put my finger on. I totally agree. And I, I almost think that 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 unsayable thing that is kind of the essence of of his gift is because if you could talk about it, then it wouldn't be music. Right. Yeah. Like it, you can only listen to it. Uh, just listen and experience it. And yeah. and, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the whole piece is amazing. It's also I my some of my um, good friends in in the quartet and I have talked about how like so many of these classical works, like they usually have like one or maybe two good, like really, really super amazing, miraculous movements out of like four or five. And the Schubert, like every single movement is a masterpiece um, on its yeah. own, really. Yeah. So that's another, uh, like, yeah, the first movement is the melody that everyone knows. Second movement is the incredible slow, slow movement with really, again, like vocal. He wrote a lot for voice. So he really has a sense for how to write a, a vocal line. Um, third movement is this crazy scherzo that's really fun. And then the last movement is like this kind of 
gypsy dance type thing that's really awesome, a lot of fun. So anyway, yeah, I've I, I have really um, amazing memories of of performing that with. That, that's the other fun thing about it is like when you play in a string quartet for good and bad, you're stuck with the same three other people <laughs> yes. all the time. And that's no really special. Things out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason they, they, they call it like a four way marriage and it is kind of, <laughs> yeah. like um, but, and it's great. You get to form a bond with these people and really, um, really form a group identity. But the fun thing about playing the Schubert is you get to like bring in a, a guest who's usually like a superstar cellist. Yes. We've gotten to play it with, Mm-hmm. Like the some of the great quartet cellists, like Guarneri from the uh, Peter Wiley from the Guarneri Quartet and Nina Lee from the um, the Brentano String Quartet, and just like and so they bring their own like knowledge and musicality to it, and it's it's really special. So I have a lot of great memories of playing that piece. Good. Yeah. Okay, Lexi, what's what's next for you? All right, so I'm I'm going on the orchestral thread now yeah. for sure. Um, I'm picking Samuel Barber, um, one of the greatest American composers of all time. And he wrote three essays for orchestra, but the second essay for orchestra, in my opinion, is just phenomenal. Um, It just goes through this journey that you feel almost every single emotion in about eight minutes time. And it is super you know super cool to listen to there you know each instrument gets its moment um there are pieces that are concertos for orchestra and it's almost like a condensed concerto for orchestra in the sense that i feel like he just balances the ensemble super well um we notice if we very grand um throughout time we kind of see a shift in how the orchestra is used and once we have gotten to 20th century repertoire there is you know much more balance in the ensemble and how each voice is utilized and so you know there's some really great moments in like the trumpet and the oboe and the clarinet and then the violins get their moment and then even the violas have this <laughs> section and the poor violas I like, are I like that even the violas like as a tangential you know related yeah. to people with music violas just seem to have this pl- I don't know anything remind mind you I've never been in an orchestra but the way my daughter talks about violas, it's just like, what's going on? <laughs> they, get, they get the short end of the stick. They are very necessary. We love violas. They are the middle child of the orchestra. Um, and, so, you know, it just because each voice has such a different timbre quality, yeah. even within the strings, it's really special just to kind of hear lines come back between different um, instruments and he just he's really good at sweeping melodies that and there's a sense of Americana in his music and it's not like Copeland's Americana but yeah yeah I hear what you're saying yeah I mean I don't have a I've listened to three or four different barber pieces a lot and yeah yeah, yeah I hear and, what you're saying definitely yeah and it's it is a it's just a cool piece. I would, I mean, I recommend all three. I could give you about a hundred other barbers to listen to, but the second one I think is just extra special. And that's the one I remember listening to kind of on repeat in undergrad. Yeah. And it was definitely inspiration for me in terms of orchestration and just 
uh, harmonic structure and using the using the orchestra. Isn't that one of the pieces you sometimes give to your orchestration students in class? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Nick, what's next for you? Okay, what uh, next for me is uh, by Brahms, his G major quintet. And this is actually a viola quintet, which means they're two, it's string quartet plus an extra viola. Um, the middle child. The mi- <laughs> hey, so and, getting some love. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and best friends here, violas. Yeah. And Brahms, I mean, also another composer who you could say a million pieces and they're all incredible. But this one, I don't know, just especially the first movement, it opens with this unbelievably joyful, triumphant cello solo that then the violin gets to take. And it's just, it feels like you just like won a great battle or you just like achieved something you've been working for your whole life. It's just so incredible to listen to and to play. And it, uh, it also, the second theme is just so heart wrenchingly beautiful. It's also like playing in a, in a quintet versus a quartet. Again, like I think quartet is kind of the, most pared down you can get um, like Western polyphonic music and still have like uh, you, you still have like six different possible pairings. There's a lot of complexity, but it's very austere in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and so then adding a fifth voice feels like all of a sudden, Oh, it's so rich. And like, you have all the, it's like chocolate, like melted chocolate. It's mm-hmm. just so the, the tone, you have so much sound. So that's fun to play. And, um, also there's this one moment in the first movement, it's at the end of the exposition, which is like kind of the first section of the, of the piece, uh, of the first movement in sonata form. And so you'll hear it like it kind of, it ends in a, uh, a, a, like a big cadence. And then all of a sudden it's like, he draws the curtain back and the whole, um, the whole texture changes. It changes, uh, from D major to like B flat major, which is a really unusual modulation. It's like, it again, it's like you're looking into a different world and it's super quiet and you just hear these like whispers of melody rising out and then it rises into this incredible, like very impassioned section. So I, that that moment, for me, like there, there are these, these, mo- these really special moments that are almost, they when I think about them and when you experience them, they feel timeless, even though they go by in probably like five or six seconds, maybe 20 seconds. But I think the power of music is that it can bring us outside of time mm-hmm. um, in a way that you're, you're obviously experiencing the performance in time, but you can remember what you heard and go back to it and hear something in the context of the larger structure. And so that moment is a, is a really incredible moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end of the piece also of the, the end of the first movement is like just so satisfying to play because the theme comes back one more time and you get this amazing suspension with the viola, by the way, the viola has this <laughs> awesome, like my favorite moment, the first violin and the viola have this GF sharp like suspension that's so satisfying and it's just awesome. So yeah, uh, Brahms G major viola quintet. Viola quintet. Yeah. Okay, Lexi, what's number five for you? All right, we are going to go uh, with Odorino Respighi, uh, Italian composer. Sure. And, and he wrote his Roman trilogy. So he wrote The Fountains of Rome, The Pines of Rome, and Roman Festivals. I would say most people are 
familiar with Pines of Rome and Fountains of Rome, and people are not as familiar with Roman festivals. Um, so each one has its own great, you know, aspects. Um, for like the Pines of Rome, it begins with like this super just like, you're inundated with this wall of colorful sound and it's um and you know like there are these trumpet calls and horn calls and what's really cool about this piece in general is that all and i should say all the pieces all three of them um the each of the four movements for each work are he actually had text in mind Mm -hmm. and so he had very specific imagery that he was recreating musically and that's not always the case there's you know the concrete and absolute music and then there's really just programmatic music and I love programmatic music Mm -hmm. and so this one's really special because it starts with kids uh, like running around and playful. They're even pretending to like battle with one another. You can musically hear them running around because anyone who has kids or have has been in the life of a child just knows that it's constant energy all the time. And then they crash, which is really funny because <laughs> musically this movement is only about two and a half minutes, almost three minutes long. And then it just stops and it goes to nothing. And the second movement is is the movement that got me hooked on Respighi. And he is musically depicting a catacomb. Mm. And so you almost feel like these souls rising up and just like, you know, maybe just coming from the spiritual end of it, like, you know, when we die, like we ascend spiritually, like, even though our, our bodies remain on earth, I think you kind of, like the, the buildup that happens, it, you know, it's, it's unbelievably powerful at that moment. And he starts with, with almost nothing. And then the orchestra is at its, like, it's at the, the, the threshold of sound, but yet it's not harsh. It's just, really I like I can't even come with the right adjective right now it's just it is intense (laughs) but it's not intense in this density that's hard or angry it's just powerful and it's it's like the the power of the Lord it's just like it takes you and it, it it embodies you and then it comes back down and you're, you know, it's like you come back to reality. It's very cool. And then the third movement is this 180 then from that. And you already thought you had a 180 from the first to the second movement. And then you get to the third movement. And it's just, it's very peaceful. And then there's this clarinet solo that comes in and then it gets moved to the oboe. But what's super cool about this is it was the first piece that used a phonograph. And so he had the recording of a nightingale actually played in the performance. Uh And so, you know, this is still a thing, obviously, when it's performed, but... Back then, this was like cutting edge. It was like like late 1920s. Like, this was big. (laughs) And... I mean, it's very cool because using recording has become a part of 
a lot of compositions now, having a source recording, pre-recorded tracks, electronics, whatnot. But this was it. This was Mm -hmm. the first one, which is really cool. And then it ends with, um, like, the Roman soldiers coming in to triumph and just, like, this glory at the end. Um, You talked about, like, going and seeing pieces live. That's definitely Mm -hmm. one you should go see live because often for the last movement, they'll have the brass, like, up in the balcony or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, like, it's it's pretty epic. So that's the uh, Roman, you said that was the Roman festivals of the three. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. That one's Pines of Rome. You're talking Pines of Rome still. Okay. Pines of Rome. Yeah, Pines of Rome. Uh-huh. Um, and then the Roman festival is also really cool. Yeah. Like it has a mandolin in it. It has like it literally ha- depicts like a lion fight or something like it's crazy. Yeah. It's just you're inundated with sound. You feel like you're at a circus and then suddenly it's yeah. Very, it's very cool. Very cool, yeah. Yeah, definitely a piece I've heard a few times, but not. I've never really done a deep dive with it. Okay, Nick, what's number okay. six? All right, um, my number six as a violinist, I've got to throw in a violin concerto. So, oh, okay, which one? That's I, yeah, I know this'll, which this'll one. I, it was hard to pick, but um, the Sibelius violin concerto. Uh, Jean oh, Sibelius, okay. Finnish composer. Yeah, I'm sure you know it. Um, yeah, well, my favorite's probably Brahms, personally. Oh, that's but, a no, yep, that's uh, that's right. But that's uh, but uh, Corey's learning Sibelius right now, so I'm oh, here. I'm awesome. here. I'm hearing it some. So and, we, yeah. and I've seen it performed. I saw Hilary Hahn perform it with Corey uh, a couple years ago, pre-COVID, um, and then we just recently saw it again a few months ago. Oh, nice. They they, yeah. they performed some. I don't know. I mean, you. Oh, you, yeah. They, they did performed like, like a bootleg. I'm saying, yeah, you know, yeah, pop, the, the I'm original. using pop music references. Forgive me, but uh, they, they found like an un an unseen or unperformed, uh, you know, version of it. So we saw. Yeah, Minork did that, right? Yeah, they. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was yeah. Osmo Vanska, and um, I can't remember the name of the soloist. She was from Finland, I believe. Yeah, I remember when they when they were doing that. I didn't. Yeah, I. It's a yeah. pretty. It's a pretty. Um, of these pieces that you, you that the two of you have mentioned, this is probably the first one. I mean, I've I'm aware of most of these, or yeah. at least half of them. This is the only one that I've probably listened to quite a bit so far. Um, yeah. It definitely has a. The the opening is is stunning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I made Nick happy just for those yeah. of you listening. You can't see his face. <laughs> I'm glad. Yep. Tell that's, us what I you mean, love. Tell what us what you love about it. No, I mean you're absolutely right. Like I, I still remember the first time I played it in orchestra. I think I was like 14. I didn't mm-hmm. play. I was, I was playing in the orchestra, and I heard and I remember like playing the opening mm-hmm. and the violin coming in. I was like. Oh my goodness, I have to learn this piece. It's mm-hmm. so haunting and beautiful. And mm-hmm. it opens, I mean, that the imagery that everyone uses, and because it's very, very you can see it very easily, even though again, he didn't write I, as far as I know, he didn't like write anything programmatic about this. But he was from Finland, and the opening is just so kind of icy and yeah. still and yeah. see the the kind of the Finnish tundra mm-hmm. stretching out to the horizon and the violin is just it, it opens with this very yeah very um haunting kind of 
carpet of sound in the orchestra, and then you hear the violin, very lonely melody come in, and it's haunting and beautiful, and it builds and builds and builds, and then you go into this cadenza, and it's just uh, the the thing, though. I mean, so there are a lot of amazing violin concertos, and, and and with amazing violin solo parts that are fun to play. But one thing that sets this one apart, I think, is that the orchestra part is just as well crafted mm. and fits. Um, just like almost as an equal counterpart to the violin. And that's not all. Some violin concertos, they're ba- like the orchestra is just like the backup band mm-hmm. for the violin to go crazy and do their thing. And that's fine. You know, that's fun to listen. <laughs> but so this, this concerto is like a, uh, it's almost like a symphony with a violin solo part on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of the greatest, the best moments are actually in the orchestra, which I, I mm-hmm. am, loathe to say about a violin chair, but <laughs> like the the big climax in the first movement is like you have the trombones and the horns just blaring mm. and and it's so yeah it's so um so satisfying and the other my other like favorite moment other than the end of of the first movement which is like fingered octaves galore and fun to play but uh is the it right there's this really super quiet moment where the violin's way up high and the timpani comes in super, super soft. And it's kind of like a, a duet between them and it's just really magical. And um, yeah, so, you know, you, you got it, but the opening is what well, caught honestly, me at first. Nick, and, I'm one of the problems I have with classical. That's because I'm child of pop music. I think is, is yeah. it takes a lot for me to really be able to maintain my focus. And I'm guessing as yeah, yeah. somebody for you, like, like the two of you who play these and have to sort of right, walk the tightrope, um, playing through it. And I will say listening to my daughter play some of them is one of the more engaging ways to do it. Because when you do yeah. that and you're listening to your child, you know, work through this piece that they've worked on, you know, for months, I have to say that really makes a huge difference in terms of really staying oh, with really? the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I think I've always found it challenging. And so it, there's a reason that all I can, I can never really remember anything about it except the opening because the opening's so stunning. And, and, and it's almost like I want to go back to that when I'm listening to it just because I love the opening so much. So I need yeah. to make sure I'm continuing to listen to it so I can really enjoy the rest of the piece. Yeah. No, I totally, and I want to say, like, I also appreciate, I think we both appreciate just, like, listening to pop music, listening to indie, all these other genres, because they have their own um, world of beauty and meaning, and that is that is just as beautiful in different ways. Um, and it is, like, I, I do not, uh, like, I will not, like, put in, like, Mahler Second Symphony on my way to uh, driving to <laughs> rehearsal, because it's just too much to, like... Plus, you, know, like you don't have enough time to, to right. hear the whole thing. <laughs> just like <laughs> halfway through it. Yeah, just like I won't try to read, like, the Brothers Karamazov at the yes. breakfast table. It's yeah, just sure. too... Yeah. So no, I no, totally... No, no, you oh, would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just but, wouldn't... You wouldn't have a chance to get through yeah. it. It d- does, and, and that's also why I... You, I'm so glad you said at the beginning. Um, you talked about live performance, yeah. and I'm I'm totally of the of the opinion that all these pieces they're worth going and seeing live. Mm-hmm. Both, both because you're seeing the music is new every time it's performed. You know, yeah. it's every every performer brings his own his or her own um, personality and, and interpretation to the notes that the composer wrote. So you're seeing that unfold in real time, which is a really special thing. <clears throat> it's also, in my experience, way easier to concentrate 
on something that's like an hour long if you're like sitting in a dark room and just like that's all you have to do mm-hmm. versus at home you know list and there's a bunch of stuff going on so i'm totally with you on that it's um uh yeah and that's why i'm, I'm all for live performances of all totally. genres and types so totally. yeah all sorry right, let's okay. see what's number six for you <laughs> all right we're uh going with um you okay there yep mm-hmm. um henrik goretzky a polish born composer who passed away actually in 2010 mm-hmm. um and he was very much not known for the vast majority of his compositional career and so it was, i would say it was about his last 20 years that he became much more well-known and renowned um he was a devout catholic and so his faith was certainly an element of his music which is something and that's uh the next composer i'm going to actually talk about same thing um but he's still alive um so with goretzky he his third symphony it's titled symphony number three symphony of sorrows and it is for soprano and orchestra and he uses three different texts the first movement is um it's a polish lament uh like from the perspective of Mary writing about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the second movement was actually um, a, a prisoner of war of World War II written on a prison wall. Mm-hmm. So some text written. And then the last one is based off of a, a folk song. Um, um, he starts out so quietly that you, if you're not paying attention, you won't even actually realize that the ensemble has started playing and it starts with the lowest instruments. And so, um, I would have to have the score to get the exact orchestration, but I believe it's like contra bassoon or at least bassoon and bass with some really low piano cello. It, it starts so quietly in it it takes like a solid like five, six minutes to build up. And it is just this very slow moving, but heart-wrenchingly beautiful piece that really allows you time and space and reflection. Mm -hmm. Because I think oftentimes people have two reactions to death. It's that you can't let it go Mm -hmm. or you push it aside and it's gone. And so you're going to ignore it. Um, And so I would say whatever space you are in, you can reflect and you can live in that moment and you can know that as I mean, we know that as believers, especially for someone who has gone on to the Lord, there is that sense of hope and it's not the end. And it it's more celebratory, but it doesn't mean that we on earth are not suffering. And it doesn't mean that we can't um, let our emotions be known. And I am very hypocritical in that I just close off mm-hmm. and I don't talk about it and I will not recognize things. Um, and a piece like this, I can just like sit there and I can sob mm-hmm. and 
it's just because the way that he allows time to just sit mm-hmm. and the voice hardly does anything yet it's just like the it's what is needed when he uses it so he knows how to effectively allow the voice to be utilized in the ensemble mm-hmm. because first off if you know anything about good orchestration especially when it comes to using the voice within the orchestral setting you have to have space mm-hmm which I think is really effective because as a person, you need the space to think and you need the space to process. Um, but also that, that space can be coupled with either registral differences and or dynamic contrast or just the lack of instrumentation. And all of those, I think, are ways that we kind of deal with pain. Uh-huh. Like we eliminate or we just push it aside. I don't know. Maybe I'm just coming at it from too much of the theoretical end of things. But no matter what, I think anyone can enter in and there's just this rawness to it that mm-hmm. is real and it's fresh and it's like a bloody wound, which is hard to deal with but once it mends it's just beautiful and you're reminded of it and so you're bringing you're bringing out the pastor in me a bit um what (laughs) what year what when you mentioned your mother earlier Um, yes when was when did she pass away how long ago um it was 2014 okay isn't it powerful how those connections that you have how some of the way God is good in terms of finding ways to minister to us. Um, and some of that is bringing back, bringing remembrance through pieces of music, through art. For me, I lost my dad in 2012. Um, it's music is a big part of it, but then there's also baseball is another one. Um, uh, but it, cause we, we don't, we can't, plumb the depths of the sorrow that we feel that when we lose someone who is so much a part of us. And um, I love how listening to you talk through this. And I don't know if you're thinking about your mom or not when you were talking about this Gorecki, I'm sorry, I can't, Gorecki, Gorecki piece. piece, But I just was, I was hearing that. And especially because you made reference to it earlier when you were talking about, uh, I think it was the Britain piece. Um, uh, Devon Williams. Oh, it was Devon Williams. That's the first piece. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, it's just the way that we're able to have some of these ways that the Lord ministers to us in common grace. You know, these aren't necessarily you know it's, you know people. I mean, you got Bach who's just you know cranking out you know amazing stuff that's directly <laughs> for the Lord's glory, and then you have all these other creatures of His who are who are making music to His glory without knowing it. And how and how God uses these things still to minister to us in our place. So I don't know if I was being presumptuous by bringing that up, Lexi, and I apologize if I was. But oh, I mean, I do think of my mom, and then just to you know couple it. Uh, my brother passed away the same year, and okay. so it's just like, yeah. but you know, it it does allow me to you know remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, totally. 
So it's it was not presumptuous. So well, when you're talking about something called the Symphony of Sorrows, <laughs> you know it's <laughs> it's kind of a. But, it's it's just so moving and gorgeous that yeah yeah powerful. Well, guess what? We've gotten through six each. Are you want to keep going? I'm up it's for up it. Okay, you, I'm up for sure? it. Let's I'm let's sorry take, it's so late. I let's feel that's all right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Okay. And we're back, and I mean, so far we've we've covered. A, it's really dense stuff here and I love it. I do want to ask, I, yeah. I've had a lot of different people of different vocations on the show. You're the 26th show I've done. And I do have to ask you, um, the relationship you have to music as a, perf- as a performer versus as, um, as a participant, as somebody who's an audience. Um, when you pick some of these songs, how much does it matter to you um, be uh, having played it versus enjoying it from uh, as a standpoint of it being a member of an audience? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, this is going to be just very personal answer for me. So I, I don't think claim to have any, uni- like this is not universal, but I, I think for me, I felt from a very young age that I, like, <laughs> I guess I remember, like, going to concerts as a kid. A dog has joined us. Yes, Maple <laughs> has joined us. Um, I remember going to concerts as a kid and thinking, like, man, I really, like, wish I was up there, like, performing with those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, and and it wasn't so much, I'm sure some of it was, like, just pride, like, oh, I want to be in the spotlight, but... But also just like it is um, a really special experience to be in the middle of the music making and be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, But I also want to say that I think the audience is also part of that. I think that's something um, that I learned, we all learned during the pandemic is yes. how much it matters to be in communion with one another in the flesh. And actually one kind of cool thing about, about communion um, you know, in those months at Cross when we couldn't meet, we still were like driving to the parking lot yeah. to pick up the elements of communion. And it had the side effects of actually bringing us into communion mm-hmm. with one another, mm-hmm. um, even if it was like talking across the parking lot to somebody yeah. who you hadn't seen in two months. But it was such a joyous thing. And it was like, that is definitely one of the intentions of um, of of the Lord's meal, I think, is to bring us together physically um, and eating the physical elements yeah. of, of communion. And so, and I think there is, uh, not, not the same, not a sacrament, but there is an element of communion. And I believe the Holy spirit is present in a live performance when, and you are, uh, when you're feeling the energy of the audience that they're really listening and the audience is feeling that you're reacting to that. There's just something really special and unique. It's like, it's different every time. Um, and, and it can never be repeated. And I think that's also why, um, why I love it is that it never gets old. Um, yeah. Even you can play the same piece a uh, hundred times. And um, if it's a good piece, you'll always find something new in it. And the audience, sometimes you're playing for, for kids. I, we've played for lots of school kids, some of them who've never heard these, this music before. What mm-hmm. a privilege to get to uh, be the vessel for this 
this great gift um, that we've been given in music and participate in it with others. So all that is to say that I think a lot of these, these pieces, I, I probably started out by experiencing them in a performance. Bartok 5 was definitely one. Um, 132 was another. Uh, Sibelius, like I mentioned. And then as I, I um, developed as a professional musician, I've had the privilege of performing all of them and being a part of them from that side. And so I kind of, I appreciate both both sides of that. Um, so, um, so, did, so I will ask one other question before we get into your last uh, few pieces. What did, what were, did you have any process that you, you whittled this down? Because classical music is in, like I did one classical album on my list because I have so many different kinds of music I love, right? Um, and I figured that this would be a classical heavy list. I, I, I went into it figuring that. But I mean, what 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 did you think about? Is it just a pure gut thing? Did you have any other kind of thoughts through why you picked these? Both of you. Oh, it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> and we toy, well, I especially toyed between, do I try to find these on an album that yeah. kind of blend a couple other a, things together? A partic- and on a particular performance you love of it on a particular yeah. album, you know? And it, it was, yeah. yeah. I just, I started losing my mind. I was like, <laughs> I think, so. yeah, for me, it was, it was also super hard. I think I, I can't, it came down to, Kind of a gut thing and also pieces that um i think almost all of these as a as a listener but also as a performer i've had really i have really special memories and, it, and one one cool thing i think about anything i think anyone who's like has has really focused on one thing it doesn't matter whether it's a sport or an instrument or something that they built or anything like when you're, when you're focused to that level, you, you kind of have a really, it's like a little crystalline memory of that experience that is a little bit timeless outside of time. Mm-hmm. So I have these, these special, I think we both have these special like little crystalline moments of not just the music in the abstract, but the music incarnationally happening in yeah. the moment. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of how I, I tried to think of like, oh, what were the mm-hmm. pieces that I, I remember having those moments uh, performing? And yeah, and, yeah. totally. OK, yeah. so what's number seven? OK, number seven, uh, we're going to switch it a little bit, um, is my wife, Lexi's <laughs> music, because she's an amazing composer. Sure. And yep. Um, and. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because she's my wife, but it, he has to. No, <laughs> no. I mean, from the I don't know. Can't even you, see. I paid you to say wow. that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you told the story at the beginning of like the one of the earliest memories I have of meeting Lexi was was also at CM in an orchestra, but it was in an orchestra reading mm-hmm. um, session where they played. I got to. I was in the orchestra, and we were reading one of her orchestral compositions. Okay. And I had already known her, but then I heard her music and I was like, oh, not only is she beautiful and a Christian, but she writes really awesome music. Yeah. That's I think when I was like, uh oh, I'm in trouble here. It's over. Yeah. A triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, there's then so many. You got to know me. And, and then it was even <laughs> oh. better. So, but um, we, yeah, I've, she's, I've had the privilege of playing a lot of her music over the years. And my quartet also has commissioned her a couple times. Um, we, um, 
So she wrote a piece, a string quartet, uh, like a full string quartet. It's really amazing. It's her, your second, right? I think. Mm. Well, your second, like, full quartet. Anyway, it's called The Still Point, and it's structured. It's based on the um, poem. Or the first. The, yeah, the poem by T.S. Eliot uh, called Burnt Norton, which mm-hmm. is the first of his four quartets. Mm-hmm. And The Still Point is a, a phrase, uh, kind of the one of the really uh, memorable phrases that he uses in that um, piece. And it's a, it's a poem about the nature of time. And so all of the um, movements deal with there's time Time. past, time present, time future, and then there are uh, interstitial movements as well. And it's just, I think it's a really moving masterpiece of a string quartet. And she goes the full gamut of, of, textures and colors and emotions and um, from everything from like just solo instruments playing and detuning our, our instruments while we're playing, which is really hard to do to like the full, like power of the string quartet together. She also writes really, really difficult rhythmic things that are really annoyingly hard to put together. <laughs> the Bartok. So I, yeah, I have been listening to too much the, Bartok. That's the thing. Yeah. Right? Um, but unfortunately we, there's not like a, an album there. So if you want, there is, we did do a recording though um, on our second album of one of her pieces called lady, lady Isabel was that kind of woman. And it's a piece based on an Appalachian folk oh. tune. So that's on um, one of your quartet albums. Yeah, so um, if I would, if you want, not to, the, uh, it's not about my quartet, but just listen to her music. Um, it's a really, really hauntingly beautiful piece. I've listened start- to your quartet. I like it, so you can say it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but listen to that piece. It's really, it's really cool. Also, really, um, I, I, I hope this is probably going to, you know, go viral now and everyone, oh, but no. uh, I, I can candidly say to you that that piece is probably the one that we've messed up the most in performance <laughs> like what's I mean, the name of the piece again it's called lady isabel was that kind of woman okay. and it's it's yeah it's uh, but it's very um very very beautiful and deceptively difficult to put together so uh, mm-hmm. rhythmically well you can't you can't go wrong picking your wife's music no. on a list you just can't go there so what's uh what's the piece that nick wrote that you're picking lexi <laughs> now, actually, I, I know i know it's not the same i he's not a, he's no. not a, he doesn't he, so <laughs> what's number seven for you lexi he did write me a piece when you proposed to me oh so. good well that's a yeah that's got to be that's got to be number seven it wasn't as good as it yeah, wasn't it was still very cool. all right um i'm going with estonian born living composer arvo pert and he has a lot of choral pieces a lot of um voice and instrument, you know, combination, uh, does a lot of chamber stuff. Um, but he has um, a larger chamber orchestra piece called um, Cantus in Memoriam Benjamin Britten, which is oh, wow, really... another appearance. Yep. Um, that kind of comes full circle. And he utilizes um, motives and fragments of Britten, but he does his own take on, on it. And... Uh, Parrot is, he had, he has had two distinct um, periods in his life, just like Nicholas was talking about kind of Beethoven having <coughs> three different periods of life. Um, Parrot has had two. Mm-hmm. And so he had his very avant-garde serial music. He was very much influenced by um, the movements of like the 
the second Viennese school, which gets into all those theoretical things, but he was basically you would turn it on and it would sound like (laughs) I don't have my full range. So after being sick, so it's not as effective Um, to a complete 180. And he kind of tapped into his, um, his roots. I want to say he's Protestant. I think he's, I don't know. He's Christian. He is a Christian of some some denomination. I can't remember which right now. Um, So he is very, I mean, a lot of his works are, you know, influenced by his beliefs and, you know. He is um, an Orthodox Christian. Orthodox, that's what it is. I'm looking it up as you're, I'm reading a little bit about him as you're talking through, talking about him. Cool. Perfect. He, so he came, he developed uh, a technique that has, um, has since been coined as tintinabulation or occasionally tintinabuli. Um, if you want a video on it that I have, you know, done for my students, I'm welcome to share it. Okay. No. <laughs> um, so I, I will not get into the concept of tintinabulation, but the, the main thing is that it's kind of meant to mimic the sound of church bells. Okay. Um, that's just like the most basic definition. Um, but there is a melodic element to it and then a repetitive element to it. And so his music almost feels like it could have come from, you know, 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yet it has, um, it's, it's very cool. It's just like, it's almost meditative in a sense. There are some ethereal moments to it. You can almost sit back and just kind of close your eyes and just, you know, you could pray honestly because it, the way that it envelops you. Um, but the, just, I think the power that there is behind the, the cantus is very, very cool. So did and, he write that around the time that Britain passed away? Um, Britain passed away in set, was it the 70s? It says here that the, 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 the it was written in 77. It could be. I know that Britain died in the well, late 70s, didn't he? As I recall. Yeah, so, it's probably, yeah, so I'm sure it was right around. Yeah, so he probably perfect. wrote it kind of in the midst of it. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, which is also very cool, yeah, to, to know that. Cool, thanks for... Looking up some stuff. Well, you know, I, 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 you know, like I said, my I, my mind moves around yeah. a lot. But when you're, but I love doing that when, especially when I'm talking to people and they bring up an artist that I don't know much about. I think I've heard of this gentleman, but it's just kind of cool to kind of be able to, hey, oh, look at this, look at this, that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, says he is influenced by Shostakovich, Prokofiev, and Bartok. Yeah. Yeah. So. He, the, the thing that I find striking about his music, and Lexi mentioned, was that he dares to write simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, the, like you said, it's meant to be, invite you into the world of a single note, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's not boring. It's not. No, it's, it's, yeah, there's a piece. I actually, I played it for church a long time ago, but it's called Spiegel and Spiegel. Yeah, I noticed which, that on the, on the Wikipedia site. It's a and it's mirror and mirror and it's so it's basically you the violin or the solo instrument it's you can play it for a number of different solo instruments plays um, a just scale. A, a scale and the and the the piano plays chords and it's one of the most beautiful pieces I know yeah. it's mm-hmm. incredible 
Um, yeah, he's, so, he's a special composer. Fratris is another one that's yeah. really cool. Um, he has the Berliner Mass, if someone's really into choral, choral stuff, um, and a handful yeah. of other choral things as well. Yeah. So. All right. Okay, yeah. number eight, Nick. All right, number eight, um, I'm going to – I don't know if this is allowed, but <laughs> um, it's – I'm going to just say my family um, because they were, and I'll, I'll get to the specific music in a second, but I, I, I was really, I owe so much to my, to my mom and dad. They were like huge. They've been huge musical and spiritual and everything intellectual influences on me. Um, My dad, my dad's a doctor, but he, he's played the piano and composed his whole life. Um, and my mom, uh, is a soprano and they actually met, uh, because she needed a pianist to, to play some recitals for her. Um, so, and then they ended up, uh, recording an album together, uh, like while I was, I think in, in the womb slash right after I was born, um, uh, of, of songs that they wrote together. And I've just grown up my whole life, like listening, like falling asleep to my dad, improvising on the piano downstairs late at night. Um, my mom doing vocal warmups and teaching vocal students and singing. Um, so that's always been a huge, a huge part of my musical just DNA, I guess. And I, I'm, and they've always, they always supported me and us so, so much and they still do. So, um, I'm so grateful to them. And, uh, also my extended family, um, my, my uncle and aunt, uh, Stephen and Linda Tavani um, are urban missionaries, um, mm-hmm. but Linda, uh, my my aunt Linda was, uh, st- I don't know if you know the song "Reunited" by Peaches and Herb, or uh, like "Reunited." And oh yeah, sure, of course. Or, or yeah. take your group. So she was Peaches in that group. Okay, um, she's <laughs> like, and and my my uncle uh, was a producer uh, for like Smokey Robinson and some other people, and that's how they met. He okay. produced her, and then um, and then they got married, and then they chose to devote their lives to basically going into the like the parts of the inner city where no one wanted to go. Um, they started out in South Central LA, and uh, and they've been in all all over the world, actually, in like just the yeah the worst parts. And um, they 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 sing and they um, they sing their own music, um, and they like feed everyone, and it's just a, like a big block party, and they preach the gospel, and like hundreds of thousands of people have gotten saved over the last thirty years. So. I grew up going, um, going to those, they're, they're called, their ministry is called Wow Winning Our World. And um, my family and I grew up going to their, they're called Wow Jams, like these urban ministry um, events in New York and in LA and all over the place. So, um, so I just have like great memories of, of like being up, they, they bring a big truck that turns into a stage and like being up on stage, dancing with them. And later I played my violin, um, like with, while they sang and, they still like are making Linda, my aunt Linda is like, like releasing, just released a new album and she's amazing. She still sounds like unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, so they were big musical influences on me as well. Um, and they, um, they released an album, they released several albums uh, as Tavani, but they, uh, one of them that I remember a lot is um, Bought With The Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
they have some really awesome, and that's like very like funk gospel inspired, um, like Motown. I mean, my uncle was producer in that whole scene. And then my aunt was part of, part of that, um, in the seventies. So, uh, so like listening to that. And then also my dad's piano playing is really like jazz blues gospel inspired. He, he was the kind of the, the piano player for the church that I grew up in, in Maryland before we moved to Virginia. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, like awesome, like lots of gospel music that we sang and played. So, um, and her, him and uh, my dad and mom's album, uh, is called Created Me. Okay. <laughs> I think you can only get on on cassette actually, sure. but, uh, I'll, it's, it's, um, anyway, but any, so, and then like we grew up playing and singing together and, and, um, and we still, still do that as a family, all my brothers and my, my parents. And wh- and where do they live now? My, my parents still live in Northern Virginia. Um, my brothers are all, I have five younger brothers. I'm the oldest of six. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're all scattered all over the place. Um, but we are actually getting together in June to like do a musical retreat slash show slash maybe recording. So I'm really excited about that. And where do your uncle and aunt live now? They are in Pasadena, in California. Pasadena. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Very yeah. close to where I grew up. How cool. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, my dad they're... grew up my dad grew up in um a suburb right next to Pasadena. He grew up in a suburb called Temple City, which is right next to Pasadena. Yeah. <clears throat> they're so they're technically in they're like uh, in Altadena, actually. Sure. Like right really mm-hmm. close to the, the mountains this year yeah. in Nevada. So there's a really good ice cream place in Alhambra, very close to there too, mm-hmm. that I could tell you. Nice. Nice. All right, I'm what's number eight, Lexi? Oh gosh, I feel like I feel like I need to talk about my family and everything. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah. I mean, it's cute. My dad actually did do an album at one point. Yeah. And it was fun because growing up, I thought all of those songs were songs that everyone knew. And they were songs that he wrote. <laughs> and they were songs that he wrote. So I think that has definitely been an influence in my life. Um, he's a guitar being, player. Yeah, he's a classical guitarist. Okay. <laughs> so um, we were going to do a complete change at this point okay right i it's up to yeah whatever well i mean well like, you should say though about your mom what did she play violin yeah mm-hmm. and what violin am i playing right now for spco this week her violin yeah i'm her playing violin. on her her instrument which is yeah. a really beautiful instrument so it's a special connection yeah yeah sorry it so still go ahead. sounds good it does yeah, yeah. um so we're going to, I guess, go with some of the stuff that we listen to when we don't want to listen to classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to go to Radiohead. Radiohead. So this is number eight, Radiohead? Yeah. What's, which album? I'm going with In Rainbows. Okay. Um, I think this is the first time Radiohead's made an appearance on the show. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't think anybody I, no, else I, has said Radiohead yet. Wow. Well, then someone, we might be, anyway. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, I'm looking at my yeah. list. They have not been, they have not popped yet. I know I talked to somebody who I think it was brought up cursorily, but. Well, here we go. So one of those Rain- bands, one of those bands that I've heard so many times, but I've never deep dove into them. I like them, but I've never really, really gotten into them. It's- well. I feel like everyone has this band that was like the soundtrack to their college mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And I think for both of us, 
all of our friends. That's like, I would say Radiohead for at least my, our generation of classical musicians, that's like the, the band that all classical musicians listen to. Uh-huh. Um, that was just, yeah. And in rainbows yeah. came out, I think the beginning of my junior year and your senior year. Okay. So it was just like, we were, and that was like peak of, at the peak of our obsession. So yeah. We and that to was it. also when we started dating. So it, it just right. like coincided very yeah. well. Um, so we would take road trips and we would listen to it and yeah. Yeah. Um, so the whole album is great, but the last one is videotape. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's, it's, haunting. yeah. It, haunting is a really good word to use for it. Um, one, one thing that's kind of cool and special, uh, the piece that Nicholas referenced, um, still point. Oh, oh, oh no, yeah. no, 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 it no. wasn't in still point. It was in a different piece, a different piece that I wrote for his quartet. I actually referenced Radiohead and this specific album, and I, um, she puts in a little quote. I put in a yeah. little quote of videotape in there. And okay. if you don't know, and if you don't know Radiohead or that, you would never know. Yep. Like, it just mm-hmm. doesn't sound like it. But uh, there's something just, yeah. Yeah. And my my Radiohead uh, selection, other than His in number Rainbows, nine. my number eight was... No, uh, no number eight was your family. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. This is not, this is number nine. Was... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's uh, Like Spinning Plates, a specific song, which is from, I believe, their Amnesiac album, mm-hmm. which is actually, <clears throat> so it's just, it's another, like, just listen to the song. You don't even have, like, it's just beautiful and really haunting and kind of has this strange, like, uh, strange backing track to it, which um, if you read about the song, it's actually, like, the... Um, it's a different song of theirs from, I think from Kid A mm-hmm. that's, that they reversed. Uh, and so the, the backing track is like the reverse of that song. Uh-huh. And he actually sings for part of it. He sings the, the lyrics backwards too, which oh, is pretty wow. impressive. But it's, it's not weird. That sounds like it's some sort of like backmasking weird, like thing. It's not, well, it's be- just. The Beatles did that with uh, yeah. Tomorrow Never Knows. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. just did, they just so reversed just, everything and it was the first time it had been done. They just reversed everything and played that. He did it on like on a four track machine and somehow I don't know how he did it, but Oh. Yeah. So but and and somehow it works um that, like I actually like this this song that like spinning plates um okay. even better than the the original uh song that it's based on, but it's just yeah, really beautiful haunting and another like road trip song for for my quartet and for for us and just for all of our friends in in music school and college. Cool. So. Also, the, the rhythm messes with you and it's yeah, yeah, it's, super cool. And yeah, yeah. So, yeah, kind of lilting. So what's uh? So then, what's number nine for you, Lexi? We are going to end with Punch Brothers. Punch Brothers. I don't know them. <sighs> all right, Good. here we go. Another introduction. Okay, so Punch Brothers, their album All Ashore. Um, another one where I would highly recommend the entire album. Um, but the f- first one is <coughs> super. Oh, Chris Steele. Okay. Yeah. 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 I know who he is. Sure. Yeah. So the, sure. the very first album on the track, which is first I, track on the album. Track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's titled all of yeah. right? the 
yes, I think so. I think it's the title track. Anyway, it's the very first one on there. Um, it it talks about. I mean. I mean, there's kind of the saline aspect to it, but there's also the relationship of the fate, like the parents and their child. And so the lyrics are special. It also, oh, it's just, there's. So which album is it? Which album is it you're talking about? All Ashore. All Ashore. Got it. You did did say that. I just, I'd forgotten. Got it. No. Yeah, and so I mean, kind of mystical, maybe in a sense, like the the way that the the lyrics are he's, yeah, set the, up. He actually, I, it took me a while to realize that he's writing from the perspective of the of child. their two year old. He, had, I think, he had like a two year old boy the at time. the time, mm-hmm. uh, and and the song is actually like written from the boys, the little kids' perspective about his mom and dad, and like seeing them like alternate in like working parenting and parenting and, and it's just, it's very, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's very real in that yeah. it's like mama rises and daddy sets. And it's yeah. like, it's totally the parent thing. Like yeah. one was exhausted. It's like, okay, your turn to take yeah. over. And it's, you know, but it's, it's very, it's yeah. very special. And it came out when Cole was a couple months old. And, okay. and so I just, I have this very strong connection between that and the boys love listening to punch brothers so sometimes i'll just turn on punch brothers for a couple hours and we'll play and dance around and make food or whatever and yeah that's cool yeah Yeah. well this has been quite a musical journey here (laughs) i love it i love it so i'm sorry it took so long no no that's great uh i I can't imagine what books you want to leave in the in the basement. What are the Ooh. books that you know? I have a feeling it's going to be. You mentioned Dostoevsky earlier. Is it going to be a Dostoevsky? I book? thought about that. I I mean, yeah. Don't do Gulag. The Archipelago column. Oh, the no. uh, Gulag Archipelago. Yeah, I got, no, light, no, no, I'm still I'm still uh, lighthearted sorry. lighthearted stuff there. Yeah. yeah. No, I actually okay. I'm just gonna pick just one of my favorite. Um, novels that I've read, um, and it's by an author named Neil Stevenson, mm-hmm. uh, who, and it's called Anathem, and it is if you like any of the following um, uh, science fiction, like speculative fiction, metaphysics, <laughs> liturgy, mm-hmm. uh, say both sacred and secular. Um, monks uh adventure romance it's just it's kind of a one of a kind novel i will say like don't i i would recommend um a not reading anything about the novel and just reading the novel mm-hmm. and because i i think that's the best way and you will be completely confused at the beginning and probably a little frustrated um but it's worth it like get through the first couple chapters and all of a sudden everything starts to open up and it's really cool. Also as Anglicans, I think it's a, uh, I think we all at cross will appreciate it because um, he, he definitely gets into the meaning of, of liturgy and ritual okay, uh, and in, in music and also just in, in ritual and also what it means to live in community in kind of a, what is roughly an approximation of a sacramental community um 
So, and what, and, and then how, what it means to interact with the outside world when you're in that community. Uh, but it also gets into like, um, like platonic forms and, and, uh, lots of really interesting, um, metaphysical questions. So yeah, that's yeah. my book. It's super awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for it to be on the, uh, the book list for cross. This, yeah. I hope Tyler, if Tyler's <laughs> listening, right. What about you? Uh, Lexi? What's your book? Um, <laughs> I'm wondering what you're going to pick this. I, I know I, I have really been torn as to what I should pick. Trying to decide if I should pick some C.S. Lewis. It's always, it's always a good always idea. A good but I also thought about, because you've talked about it, and this makes me sound. <laughs> no, what? I feel like I need to read A Severe Mercy because you've talked about it a lot. And I feel like it would Doesn't humble this have to be me. a book that you have read? <laughs> well, you know what? There's a library down there. So if you just want to take a book you haven't read, that makes perfect sense. Yes, that's fair, yeah. So Sheldon, Van, Sheldon Van Auken's Severe Mercy is a great book. So I would. It would make you cry, though. But that's fair why warning. I think I need. I think I need to be humbled a little bit more. <laughs> I think that's a great pick, and it's C.S. Lewis adjacent too. Yeah. So right. that's what I was. It was kind okay. of a close, you know. I mean, he's quoted in the book, so I mean. Yeah. So it's basically like yeah. reading. He, he kind he came of like. And it, it yeah. is a great book. It's really good. It's been a while since I've read it. I've read it two or three times, and it's really good. So. I remember I, I read it, I finished it on a plane, uh, and I was just like weeping yeah, in the middle really of the plane amazing. of strangers. <laughs> I was like, ah! it's an amazing book. Yeah. That's so so uh, do, you, do you all, uh, and you get a luxury item that to wrap up the show, you get a luxury item. I mean, is it something besides a musical instrument or are you just going to take your violins? <laughs> I was gonna haul a piano down. <laughs> I, was, I could have some staff paper to go with it. So that I sounds write great. It. Piano with paper, staff paper. Yep, that's a great one. I like that. <laughs> a luxury item. Uh, we already have a library. I was, I was, I was hoping that, like, because these are pieces that I performed, that I would just get to bring my violin all, along anyway. Sure. I mean, that's thing. Um, Why? What? I don't know. I I um I love um film and movies so yeah. I probably would bring a um a nice TV and, a, and like a good collection of Do you have movies. a fa favorite director? Oh, I'm really I've been really into Dennis Villeneuve. I don't know how to say his last name. Yeah, he, he just he, made he, Dune, right? He just made Dude, which I also a book that I love, and I thought it was an awesome, awesome movie. Um, he one of my favorite movies, and I think our favorite movies was Arrival. Yeah, uh, yeah, that which was is good. A, I liked that. That was yeah. Amy Adams and yep, and uh, 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 the oh. Hawkeye from the MCU, <laughs> Jeremy Renner. Yeah, uh, yeah, I liked that. Yeah. I remember I enjoyed yeah. that when we yeah, Steph and I watched that some a few years back. I liked it. Yeah really beautiful film about language and also yeah, aliens. Yeah, it was, it was really deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I would probably do that cause I, I love movies. And yeah. Me too. So, yeah. Well, well you, both you anyway. of you, thanks for taking this time and putting so much thought into it. And I am looking forward to start, this is gonna be a great playlist. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, I mean, starting starting to just listen to all this, uh, starting to listen to all this great orchestral music, it'll be great. So, also um, going to be the longest playlist. Yeah, it will be Sorry a long playlist. It'll take. It, I, I don't think I'll be able to listen to all of it, it before I'll, I broadcast this episode. But, that's uh, okay. That's that. Thank you. For I thank you. Thank you so much for for yeah. doing this with me. And um, I have. I already said this probably once during our show, but I think we're coming off Holy Week. We just finished it a few days ago, and I said this at the beginning of the show, but I will say it again as punctuation that you, you, the four of you are a blessing. Um, Nick, I will say that there was a moment um, on Good Friday when you and Andrew and Andine were playing together where I, I, I just, I just, you talk about the spirit pouring out. It just, the three of you were wonderful together. It was wonderful to watch the energy and to see you together worshiping. And, you know, the, whether it was the Jars of Clay song or or even the Mumford and Sons song, these, all of them, but the, the Jars and Clay song specifically, um, it was striking. And I really, really, it was really great to watch your not just the music, just hear the music, but just the collaboration, the way the three of you were working together and worshiping and leading us into that space was wonderful. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And and that was totally, that was Andrew's pick. Yeah. Um, he, he, he led the service. So um, all credit to him. And he, it's always such a joy to play with him and Andine. And yeah. we're so blessed by by Andine's leadership and ministry um, and the way she embraces the arts at Cross. So we're, we're really thankful for, for that as well. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thanks for so much for taking the time and coming on the show. And I'll look forward to, uh, to broadcasting. If, if anybody listening wants to be on the show, email me and uh, make sure that you do check out the, the playlist. I'll be putting the playlist together, and obviously, um, it's we do Spotify ones, and I'll find. I'm I'm sure most of these pieces will be on there, so we'll put that together and have one for Nick and have one for Lexi. So thanks a lot, y'all. Thanks, Joel. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome. As I said at the outset. There was a lot to soak in in this episode. As a lover of classical music, I found myself really drawn in to the detail and expertise that they brought. Having been able to enjoy both of their talents in our services over the years is a true blessing for our community. The composer Arvo Pear, if I hope I'm saying that right, Lexi, was a new name to me, though the piece Spiegel and Spiegel that was referenced during the show was familiar to me. And it is a gorgeous piece. I've actually put myself to sleep the last couple nights listening to it. I've also dusted off the Beethoven quartets that I have and been listening to them a lot. And please, do take a few moments and at least listen to the first few minutes of that Sibelius Violin Concerto. You won't be disappointed. I have listened to portions of all of the pieces of music that they shared, and I truly love being able to dive in. Make sure you take advantage of the Spotify playlist that I included with the episode. You will find a great breadth of music, and I hope it will get you thinking about your favorite art or music. If you would like to be on the show to talk about art that you love, drop me a line. My email address is joel at ofthecross.org. Until the next time you hear from me, or the next time I talk to you, 
Keep listening to the music. Keep reflecting on God's common grace in the work of our hands as people. And the peace of the Lord be with you. <laughs>